Well, if we think, what is stress at its core? Well, stress is a warning sign. That's all stress is. And the reason we have evolved to have this warning sign is so that we can self-preserve, so that we can live and we can pass our genetic code down. If we never became stressed, which I hear a lot of people say, I just want to never be stressed again. I'm like, no, you don't. You really do want to be stressed. Like, like you don't want to be stressed. Like if you know you, you walk out into the middle of a road and cars are flying by, if you're not stressed about what could happen or don't care, well, you try doing that in the middle of New York City, like boom, you're gone. You have to have that. Like it's going to be life preserving. Welcome to Black Belt Beauty Radio. Get ready. It's time to rise. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Black Belt BD Radio. This week's guest is Dr. Jay Wiles. Dr. Jay is a clinical health and nutritional psychologist. With his passion for integrative and holistic care, Dr. Jay's goal has stemmed from being able to provide education on the bi-directional relationship between what we eat and our psychological and cognitive performance. In 2021, he took his knowledge and passion even further to create Hanu Health, a tech company designed to help individuals measure the impact of stress, anxiety, and depression on their overall well-being through wearable HRV monitors. You guys, this is such a powerful tool to cultivate stress resiliency and optimize your overall performance in a very convenient and science-based way. So understanding what HRV is and then understanding and measuring your HRV is really going to help you just know how to manage your stress levels better, which you think about if you can manage your stress level better, what that actually, how that impacts every area of your life, right? So I'm so excited to have Dr. G on the show because what I have discovered in doing my geeky research on HRV, um, you know, over the years is that it's a subject that you're starting to hear more about, but it's, it's, there's a lot, it's very complex. And then there's a lot of kind of gray areas or vague areas or vague messaging. And what's interesting about the messaging that's vague is that it actually can lead to more stress, which is the exact opposite of what we're aiming for, right? By learning our HRV and, and trying to measure it and, you know, all of that. So Dr. J, he really does a phenomenal job at breaking down all things HRV and really helping us understand the most important aspects of our HRV and and how to how to measure our HRV, how to be looking at it, you know. So even if you're not sciencey and geeky like me, <laughs> um, you know, and and you're not into biology so much, I want you to think about it. Think about it like this. Any aspect of your life where you are overstressed, you are not showing up in best form. So again, knowing how to manage your stress levels, first of all, is not only absolutely beneficial for vitality and your health span, right? Living long and strong, but it's really important because it's, it's going to affect every aspect of your life, how you show up in the relationship with yourself, how you're showing up in relationships with others. Um, you know, just how you're showing up in work, like everything, when you need to make decisions, your stress levels affect your decision-making process and our decisions literally shape our life. So I cannot tell you how important it is to actually be able to understand your stress levels, understand how to monitor and to, you know, create stress resiliency and also just to understand the difference between distress and eustress, you know, so healthy stress and unhealthy stress. And that is something that we talk about in this episode. So a few highlights in this epic talk. Dr. J breaks down what HRV is and how to accurately track it. We talk about why stress is a crucial component to our overall wellness and how to optimize it to your advantage. We discuss the difference between healthy and unhealthy levels of stress. We talk about stress regulation practices to alleviate all unhealthy symptoms that show up as a result of chronic stress. We also discuss how cognition contributes to nervous system responses and ways to mentally set yourself up for success. This is a powerful conversation. So please do let us know 
any takeaways or any questions, any afterthoughts that you have once you take it in. If you're watching this on YouTube, yeah, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Drop a comment. Let us know how you know this, this episode impacted you. And if you can share this up on your IG stories and tag Dr. J and myself, our handles are in the show notes. And finally... If you're loving this podcast, like I know so many of you are, I get so many DMs throughout the week and thank you for all of them because it just makes my heart so happy. But in addition, if you would just take a moment to go into the show notes, there's a super easy link that says here, you click on that link, it takes you to the platform where you can give this podcast love and you could do it by just clicking five stars or you can click the five stars and take a moment to write a review, which would be so, so appreciated to me and my team. We work our ass off to keep this content going strong, you know, getting even more incredible guests on for you. And so it really does help us do that. And it helps us share this podcast on a much larger level with the world. So thank you to all of you who will take the time to do that. Now enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jay Wiles. Jay, thank you so much. I have been looking forward to having this conversation with you for quite some time now. So thank you for being here. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah. So, you know, um, maybe three years ago, so I'm an athlete, not competitive, although this year I'm actually going to have fun um, entering some sprinting master's competition just because why not, you know? Um, Why not? Live life, do it. Right? Exactly. And, (laughs) you know, as an athlete, just someone who really values um, living long and strong, right? I'm 44, I'll be 45 this year. And athleticism is something that is really important to me um, to Mm. maintain for as long as I can, you know, in the strongest of ways throughout my life. And so, you know, being the geek that I am, biology, neuroscience, you know, nutrigenomics, you know, biofeedback is really important. And when I started to dive into HRV, um, it was like this whole other, I was just, I was, well, first of all, really intrigued by what HRV is. And then mm-hmm. I started to deep dive and, you know, I wore the aura ring and started to think about, you know, well, how do I, you know, increase my HRV? And so I know that this is a big part of the conversation with you. So I right. really want to tease out, let's start with what is HRV? Yeah, it's. I'm glad you came across the world of HRV. It's a very fun one. It's one of those though, like once you start kind of digging down or like tracking down the rabbit trail, like you can get really immersed and enmeshed in the world, but in all good ways. But for some people, I will say that it's maybe in not so good ways because it's a metric that I think it's just really confusing. Yeah. Uh, it's one that a lot of people don't fully understand. And so I like to be the one to explain it, dispel myths, and then just make it useful. Like I, I think that biometrics are completely useless if we're not putting them to use. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of chat about that. Mm-hmm. But you know, heart rate variability ha- has become ubiquitous, right? It is in every single wearable. You mentioned Aura. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Whoop and Garmin and Fitbit and Apple Watch. Like everyone has HRV now. And so I, I, I like to kind of start off by kind of telling people what it is and what it isn't, and then relate it to something that they already know. So everybody understands, I think, intuitively what heart rate is. Uh, It's not a very difficult one to understand. So like if you look down at like your Garmin or your Mm -hmm. Apple Watch, and let's say you see your heart rate is at 60 beats per minute. Well, what that means is that on average, if we took a 60 second window, your heart beats 60 times in that window. So then we could say, okay, 60 seconds equals a minute. And if my heartbeat is 60 beats per minute, that means that every single one second, my heart was beating. So a second in between each heartbeat and there we go, 60 beats per minute. Now you wouldn't be incorrect by saying that's how it works, but that's definitely not how it works. Um, Because if there was only just one second in between each heartbeat, well, that would actually equate to a variability or heart rate variability of zero. And that would not be good. (laughs) So what... what 60 beats per minute is in terms of heart rate, it's just telling you an average. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of gives you a, a insight into how, how, on average, how fast was it beating. Now, heart rate variability sounds like heart rate, but it's actually looking at the variance or the change in time between successive heartbeats. And there's a reason why we look at that metric, but I'll explain the metric in and of itself, and then I'll bring it back to actually why like we use that metric. We When we look at heart rate variability, we're saying, okay, between each heartbeat that we have, 
how much time is different between them? So if we have between one heartbeat and the next is, let's say, a thousand milliseconds. Mm -hmm. And between the next heartbeat and the, the one following it is, let's say, 900 milliseconds. Well, the difference between those two were 100 milliseconds. So the variability there is 100 milliseconds. Well, why is this important? Why is the time change between heartbeats important? Well, we know that our nervous system has to adapt to trillions of processes in any given second, which means that it's got a lot to attend to. And in order to attend to it, the heart needs to speed up and slow down and speed up and slow down and adjust and adapt. As the heart speeds up and slows down, the nervous system, which is controlling that, and I'll come back that into that in a second, mm -hmm. the nervous system is either adapting well to that or not adapting well to it. But the change across time is causing a lot of variability in your heart rate or heart rate variability. This is a good thing. This is what we want to have happen. So someone who has a higher heart rate variability that is about adaptability. It's adjusting to what life is throwing at you, whether it's internal stressors, psychological, yeah. or external stressors, things that are more physiological, which can also affect us, obviously, internally. So heart rate variability at its core is just how well are you adjusting or how not so well are you adjusting? Mm -hmm. I tell people that my definition for heart rate variability, it's the single greatest non-invasive proxy that we have for examining the dynamic changes that are occurring in our autonomic nervous system. In other other words, yeah. how well are we adapting to stress or how not so well are we adapting to stress? And we yeah. use that number as a directional guide. So when people think about heart rate variability, I want them to think about adaptability. Mm -hmm. And adaptability can be psychological adaptability. I'm doing well. I'm relaxed. Yeah. It can be recovery on the athletic and performance mm -hmm. side. It can really mean a lot of things. But really what we're looking for here is how well are we adapting or how not so well are we adapting? Yeah, that's such a great explanation. Thank you for that. And I and I do love that you you truly do um help to demystify a lot because you're right. There there is so much conversation now around HRV and it's interesting cuz it's one of those metrics where I think it could really psych an individual out. Whoa, like yeah. my numbers are low. I mean, I've been there, you know, and I'm like, mm -hmm. wait a second, you know, why am I not at 100? And so I I think that it's really valuable to have you be someone who, you know, says, you know, just organizes it a bit and and puts some truth to um to what, you know, how we should be paying attention to HRV. And that's actually a good segue into that question because that is something that I wanted to ask you. How should we obviously everybody's individual, but how what would be the best ways to for us to look at our HRV and and not be um you know psyched out by oh the numbers not a hundred and I heard that a hundred is you know showing that I'm recovering really well. Yeah. The the thing about HRV that I think is so confusing is that unlike many of the other metrics, we don't have what's called a normative basis of comparison. So let's take a couple of metrics where we do have a comparative base. Uh, blood pressure is easy one. So we have these thresholds, right? 130 over 80 or 140 over 90. It's like once you get to that threshold, we say this person has high blood pressure or they have hypertension. Underneath that, they're good. Like they're within a quote unquote normal range. Uh, another one, not a great metric, but one that we do have a quote normative comparison for is body mass index or BMI. Again, not a really good one, but one that we do have a comparison. If we look at other panels, like cholesterol panels and other blood lipid panels, uh, a lot of these times, like we have these reference ranges. Well, heart rate variability doesn't work like that. And I'll explain why here in just a second. But it's it's if we try to compare, like if I can compare you know, my blood pressure, let's say if mine is 120 over 65 and then the person next to me is 150 over 100, well, we have two ways of kind of comparing each other. We have this person who is hypertensive mm -hmm. and we have this person who is normal. Yeah. Heart rate variability again doesn't fit into those nice little boxes. So mm -hmm. if, if, for instance, like if you get an aura ring or a whoop mm -hmm. or something and you're looking at the overnight heart rate variability and you see that your heart rate variability is 25 milliseconds mm -hmm. and then someone you see on Instagram posts and there's is 140, <laughs> yeah. you're like, what the fuck? Like, exactly. are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and like, well, I, I'll tell you, Roxanne, like uh, so many people email me about this, oh, right? Sure. And they're just so scared. And they're like, they literally are like, 
like Dr. J, am I going to have a heart attack? Like I, I saw, you know, you post about like, you know, a score and I saw that yours was like a hundred percent, like greater than mine to like, I, I'm so nervous and scared. And I'm like, all right, let's take a step back. Yeah, Let's take a step back. Um, because I think a lot of people, the one thing that I get is like, is my HRV too low or I have bad HRV or low HRV. Yeah. And the one thing I say is that can your HRV be low? And yeah. the answer to that is yes, mm -hmm. but it's always low relative to you. Right. And the reason being here, and this is where it gets a little uh, complex, but I also, I think kind of easy to understand. Mm -hmm. It's just harder for people to wrap their minds around is that heart rate variability has so many influencers in terms of like what actually shifts that number or what it results in a baseline number that we have to, we, again, we can't compare apples uh, between yeah. each other. It's not apples to apples, it's apples to oranges. Yeah. Like it, it, that's because we have the role of genetics. We have the role of height of gender. Even men mm -hmm. typically have yeah. a higher heart rate variability than women. Mm -hmm. Taller people have a higher heart rate variability typically than that's shorter people. So I'm like, I'm a, yeah. So I'm a six foot five male. So like I've got all the, all the check boxes. Yeah, right? totally. And I actually think I've pretty good genetics for it too. But there's all these very, so like when people are wondering like, well, how do I use this number? The yeah. baseline number, it, the one that you see on the aura ring, mm -hmm. if you just take one snapshot, like mm -hmm. that's not very informative. It's not super helpful. Yeah. What are we looking for? We're looking for trends. We're looking for heart rate variability to act as a directional guide. Right. We want to know where are we typically? And then are we moving in an upward direction? Are we moving in a stable pro, uh, uh, trajectory? Yeah. Or are we going downward? Because each three of those tells us something different. And we can take actionable steps depending on those three, which I'm sure that we'll, we'll unpack. But I think yeah. just put very simply for people who are listening to this, Heart rate variability, uh, I, I tell people to place way less concern on where their baseline number is mm -hmm. and play, place much more concern. And I won't even say the word concern because that kind of leaks into a different yeah. category. I'm trying to de-stress people here, but <laughs> be more um, uh, attentive to yes. the direction. And, and use it as a guide. Yeah, no, I think that's so helpful because again, all you hear about is how HRV is the metric that's determining your lifespan. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you know, wait a second, why am I so low? And I do love that, you know, you you point out that there's so many different variables that are affecting um, the, your HRV. I mean, you know, I, I can say as a woman, I, I know, you know, the menstrual cycle certainly impacts. And that's something that I've had to, First of all, like I started noticing the trends around ovulation and then right before mm -hmm. menstruation, right? And I could, because yep. I was doing what you just said, is really kind of zooming out and looking every month, like, oh, okay, it seems to do this around, you know, these specific periods, right? And then Dr. Stacey Sims, who's amazing, you know, she's, she's talked about it and that's been very helpful as well. But mm -hmm. I do think, um, you know, that there, there, there's so many variables. One that I really want to ask you about specifically, um, is nutrition. Mm, Can we yes, talk about yes. <laughs> that's because I, I, you know, I'm an advocate in my community knows, you know, I don't prescribe, you know, anyone's diet. I just, you know, it's like, we all really know what to do at this point for the most part, mm -hmm. right? Eat clean, right. whole foods, right? Um, and I yep. see foods that are more toxic to be stressors in the body. Yeah, so yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, anything that is uh, exciting, the stress response is going to result in a downward trend in heart rate variability, yeah. uh, nutrition being one of them. So like uh, with my company, Hanu, we kind of have like these, what we call the four pillars of health. Yep. Uh, and, and, we've, and, we, and we see these four pillars as being kind of like foundational to changes that we have in our nervous system. Uh, the first one being one that was probably primary to what we do in my company, which is stress and stress resiliency. And, you know, within that, we can put like how well or not so well do we manage stress, uh, relationships, kind of like all of these fit into that category. So more of like the mental health side of things. Over here in this next pillar, we have sleep, uh, which we think is probably the most foundational of all of this them. Uh, then we have exercise. And then on the last kind of pillar is, is of course, nutrition and what we put into our body. And when there's dysregulation on any of these pillars, it can make the whole building fall down, which is why right. we have to have these really strong fortified pillars. Yeah. But nutrition is a really big and important one. And I'm glad that more people this day and age are kind of coming to uh, terms with the fact that they can't just eat shit and like yeah. expect to like live a, an amazing life that's full of energy and vitality. Right. 
right. feel like they have great cognitive performance and stress resiliency. We know that what food is, is it's, it's a, they're messengers, they're chemical and electrical messengers. Mm-hmm. And when we excite the inflammatory processes with food, which can be done quite easily in today's modern yeah. you know, standard American diet, right. we know that as we increase these inflammatory markers, and there's plenty of studies of this. So when we see things like CSRP go up or uh, uh, HSCRP go up or C-reactive protein, Mm -hmm. we see heart rate variability go down. When we see high glycemic variability or the glycemic roller coaster that can occur uh, with standard American diets, we see heart rate variability suppressed and we see it go down. So we know that highly inflammatory foods, which can be very individual, like we we, Mm -hmm. we realize this, um, uh, but there are kind of some standard things that we know, like those aren't good. Like eating, you know, French fries and fried chicken every single day is probably not going to be the best thing, you know, and then, you know, drink a Coke down with a Snickers bar for dessert. Probably not the best thing, but it's, it's funny because I mean, all of this is very easy to follow and track. Yeah. Uh, we did one one study where we were looking at uh, wearing a, con- a continuous glucose monitor with wearing kind of a continuous heart rate monitor. We were using, I'll just kind of throw it out there, we were mm-hmm. using my company, Hanu. Yeah. And what we were looking at was continuous heart rate variability changes that coincide with what blood glucose was doing. And what we see is that heart rate variability to inflammatory foods actually responds faster to, than glucose. Glucose is a little bit slower of a response, but once mm-hmm. it starts, it's rapid. Mm-hmm. But the onset's a little bit slower. That's why we check typically one and a half to two hours postprandial and looking at glucose. Heart rate variability to inflammatory foods responds very fast. We're talking about sometimes just within a few minutes, you'll see a pretty big suppression of heart rate variability, but it coincides with glucose variability. If we have these high spikes and really big drops in glucose, we see the same thing manifest in nervous system functioning with HRV as kind of the the proxy. So I tell people, it's like, I mean, I love wearing them in conjunction, you know, like a mm-hmm. continuous heart rate monitor and glucose monitor, yeah. but really like you see them kind of in both like stress affects glucose and cortisol output mm-hmm. and uh, food that we eat will affect those hormones and those processes as well. So yeah, yeah nutrition is paramount um, and finding kind of those things. We, we, we refer a lot of people to the company wild health because they do like g- genomics testing and, and nutritional profiles cool. and, 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 and create protocols. And what we see is that, you know, different people respond differently to different foods, depending on their genetic makeup and yeah. we see this manifest and changes in the nervous system pretty pretty easily it's it's very identifiable no i love thank you for explaining that you know i um well growing up you know i ate a mix of the standard american diet i mean it was the 80s right and then home cooked yeah. meals but my parents worked you know and um you know i think it was like 1999 where i was just i stopped all fast food and and soda right and then for, since then it's been you know i've just developed a very protein forward whole food based diet that really it really supports vitality right and i love that you have a strong psychology background i i really see psychology biology they work together right, right. and they're interconnected they're interconnected right and so you know, I often refer to my food as good mood food. I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, my natural disposition is to be, I'm optimistic and I'm, you know, more of a cheerful person, but I actually know I can measure my psychological states, like the difference of, and it's been so long, obviously, but back when I used to not have, you know, nutritious foods that were really supporting vitality um, Mm -hmm. and had more, you know, inflammatory foods and things as such, um, the, the resilience of my, my psychological states, like that is all impacted. And so, and stress is a big part of that, right? So I think it's just so important. I mean, one of my goals with having you on the show outside of just getting very nuanced and teasing this information out is like, look, everyone's fucking stressed. And Mm -hmm. I do want to talk, I I would love for you to explain the difference between you stress and distressed, you know, because obviously stress is, is, is healthy in so many ways, but we need to differentiate that stress. But the reality of the, the times that we're living in is like people just have X, like are just in like chronic stress, don't have real tools to or aren't accessing tools. I mean, there's certainly tools, right? Um, mm-hmm. to manage their stress levels. So, you know, understanding HRV is not just, you know, for 
someone like myself who's a science geek and an athlete, it's like, well, no, it's 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 a it's a marker that's going to help you and, and not just people who are interested in longevity, but just learn how to manage your stress levels to see where you're at. So that this, you know, conversation is really important because the more stressed we are, I mean, and you can speak to this, you know, on a whole nother level, but, you know, we're not going to be able to show up and perform our best we're, because we're not going to feel our best, right? And so if we want to be living from our highest self and be self-actualized, well, managing our stress becomes vital in this process. Yeah. 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 yeah no, it, it, it is 100%. It's funny because in the health and wellness scene, and then in just in the mass mass kind of consumer market, if you will, or just kind of like worldwide, even is that uh, we really go after the stuff. Sometimes it's really sexy. Um, so it's like uh, it, we look at like making health changes. It's like, yeah, let's make the nutritional changes. Let's make the cool exercise changes and get a coach. Uh, let's you know uh, make sure that we buy all these really cool tech things for sleep and for you know biohacking and health optimization. <laughs> And then when it comes to stress, it's like, oh, acknowledge it. Yeah, it's not a good thing. We should get it out of our lives. Uh, It's kind of like all the stuff that I hear from a lot of people. But it's like not super sexy or it's stigmatized. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, it's stress. It's just what everybody deals with, which is true. Like an inevitable part of life is that we're going to experience pain and stress. Like it's Mm -hmm. always going to happen. And the more we try to avoid that, the more it's going to compound. And then we're either going to explode or we're going to implode. Like trying to just like avoid stress, avoid kind of negative thinking, avoid all those things. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. However, if we utilize stress to our advantage, because I would argue as a psychologist Mm -hmm. that stress is inherently good. I wouldn't argue that it's not inherently bad. If we learn how to recognize it and create a mindset of using it and then learning how to control the body's response and the mind's response, then I think it's going to be more advantageous. Mm -hmm. So back to this kind of idea that I think stress is inevitably good. Well, if we think what is stress at its core? Well, stress is a warning sign. That's all stress is. And the reason we have evolved to have this warning sign is so that we can self-preserve so that we can live and we can pass our genetic code down. If we we never became stressed, which I hear a lot of people say, I just want to never be stressed again. I'm like, no, you don't. You really do want to be stressed. <laughs> like, like you don't want to be stressed. Like if you know, you, you walk out into the middle of a road and cars are flying by, if you're not stressed about what could happen or don't care, well, you try doing that in the middle of New York city, like, yeah. boom, you're gone. Yeah, <laughs> you're totally. Like, you have to have that. Like it's going to be life preserving. Right. So it's not the acute stress. That's a bad, bad thing that gets yeah. you going. That helps you to fight. That helps you to flee. Mm-hmm. That helps you to actually perform better, but it's the chronic stuff that compounds, especially when we get into our heads. That's like, yeah. oh no, drive forward, do what I got to do. Like stress is not going to impact me. It's all this kind of like active avoidance that we do yeah. that causes this all to build. And yeah. it's not until sometimes people are measuring with their, you know, their aura, their whoop, or their honey, or whatever, yeah. that they're now saying, oh goodness, I didn't realize like how dysregulated my nervous system was. I've been feeding myself this lie that all my shit's together, that I'm okay. Turns out not so much. Like we've got some (laughs) problems here. And so I think a lot of it, honestly, is just, it's it's education and it's becoming more self-aware as to how we can leverage and use stress to our advantage to perform better. Mm -hmm. And then how we can learn to control the nervous system with our own volition at will when it's significantly uh, impacting us in a negative fashion. So a lot of it, it's just, it's learning those things. It's creating better self-awareness so that we can learn how to better self-regulate. Yeah. And what would you say, you know, so uh, working out, training, that's a form of stress, right? Hormesis. Um, Would, is you, excuse me, you stress and hormesis the same thing? Yeah, I would say there's a lot of overlap. You know, in in psychology, we're really good about like just adding in a shit ton of vernacular where people are like, (laughs) what? What does that word mean? But yeah, you know, you stress. uh, So basically, there's kind of like two forms of stress, right? Mm -hmm. There's distress, which I think most people are very familiar (laughs) with. Uh, It's kind of like, oh man, the weight of the world, holy shit. Right. Uh, And then there's, and then there's the other form, which is you stress. And you stress is like performance based stress. It's the thing that gets you up and gets going. Um, I do a lot of work with professional athletes Mm -hmm. and we use what's 
called like this, uh, the law, it's called the Yerkes-Dodson law. It's basically a U-shaped curve. And what we have over here on the Y-axis um, is stress and on the X-axis is performance. Mm -hmm. And what the, what happens is, is that we know if there is really low stress, then performance typically is going to be impaired. But as stress goes up, performance goes up only to a point though. There's a point though when stress gets too high and then the downward part of the curve starts and performance goes down because yeah. when it's it's really interesting how stress works. A, 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 a solid level of stress or a, a bit of you stress, it actually gets the peripheries open. We see wide panoramic, like we're taking it all in. Right. We're very sharp between, between the ears. Um, and so that's a good form of stress. But then when stress gets too high, it's like when the dial goes up to a little bit too far, yeah. everything starts to pan in and we get tunnel vision and we can't think straight. Right. So it's just finding that happy medium, yeah. which is why I tell people leverage stress, use it for good. Good. What we just don't want to do is get on the opposite side of that curve, which typically happens when we're not learning how to funnel the stress yeah. and then we're not regulating it the way we should be. Well, what, what would be a couple of ways that, you know, any individual could start? So meaning like not necessarily having to be like some pro athlete or, you know, just our everyday individual can start to implement some tools or activities that would, you know, support them to manage their stress levels better. Yeah. So the, it's funny because a lot of the times the tools that I provide to people, they're like, really, that's it. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's not that difficult. Yeah. Like, it's not that difficult. I think that mother nature intended to provide us with the set of physiological skills to self-regulate that we need. Like we don't like, it doesn't require us to go out and buy, you know, the, the beautiful, you know, thousand, two thousand, ten thousand $10,000 toys. Like, right. yeah, if you got the finances and the money to do it, like, yeah, there's some great things that we can use for health optimization, but the single greatest way to control the nervous system is through the body. And what I mean by that is through breathing, something that we do all all the time, um, our autonomic nervous system just has it kicked into high gear. We never have to think about it. However, what we know is that when we become stressed, we be, we typically will have dysregulated breathing. So what does that mean? A lot of times people are breathing way too fast. They're breathing way too shallow. So they're breathing from the chest as opposed to kind of lower in the belly. Uh, they're breathing from the mouth instead of from the nose. Like all of these things can happen. And when we have sh uh, really shallow, rapid mouth breathing, what does that tell the nervous system? Well, something's attacking, something's yeah. about to happen. Like you need to get out of there or fight this. And so it revs up, you secrete uh, cortisol, your heart rate is increased, your heart rate variability starts to drop like a rock. Mm -hmm. So if we just make the simple shift of nasal breathing, breathing low and slow from the diaphragm, we increase a process. This is a natural arrhythmia that occurs. And why it's called arrhythmia is because it's without rhythm, uh, which is what we want. It's not AFib. It's it's not like atrial fibrillation. It's just called respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And what respiratory sinus arrhythmia is, it's the change of heart rate across the respiratory cycle. Mm. So as we inhale, and especially as we slow our inhale, mm -hmm. uh, then what, or I should say even elongate our inhale, mm -hmm. what happens is the heart rapidly speeds up really, really high. And people are probably like, well, that's not good, is it? Actually, it is because as we exhale on the back inside, we speed the heart up really fast with a slow inhale, and then we slow it way down with the exhale. We extend it really far out. Once we do that, that really big change in heart rate across the respiratory cycle, that that uh, uses a, a pathway um, mm -hmm. from your vagus nerve, the 10th yeah. cranial nerve, that sends a signal to the brain to slow down and, 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 and relax. Yeah. And so why does it do this? Well, the reason it does it is because, and this is another thing, again, why the body has built such beautiful mechanisms for self-regulation. The reason this happens, if we're slowing and changing our physiology, uh, we have a lot of physiological changes that I just mentioned. But the other thing is, is, from a psychological perspective, I would argue this is from an evolutionary perspective, is that we would not be slowing down our breathing unless we were in a place where that is safe and secure. Because totally. if you're getting chased, right? Yeah, like if I you're know. Said, like if you're getting chased by a mountain lion, yep. you have no reason to do that. You better huff and puff and get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> um, do whatever you can. Yeah. But if, but if the mountain lion's not chasing you and you're slowing your breathing down, your brain says, oh yeah, like you're in a safe, secure spot. Let me slow that heart rate down. You see the inflation of heart rate variability and people just feel a general sense of relaxation when that That's happens. So like, 
a lot of people don't even realize how dysregulated their nervous system is until they start to regulate it. It's kind yeah. of like I, that, that thing of like, I didn't realize how bad I felt until I felt good. Totally. Um, that happens here as well. So, yeah. uh, so there's a lot of other things, but I will say that my number one go-to that anybody can do, it's always accessible. You don't need any crazy fancy technology to do it. It's just simply becoming self-aware of your mm-hmm. body going into stress and then utilizing your breathing as a direct signaling mechanism to slow your nervous system down. Hey, you guys, if you've been following me here for a while or on any of my channels, you know I am always talking about the power of journaling and specifically what it has done for me and continues to do for me in my life. With that said, I am so excited to officially announce that my guided and illustrated self-actualization journal, You Are the Path, is out for sale. I have been working on this for quite some time now with my incredible, talented artist friend, Emerald Paget, and I could not be more excited for you to experience this journal. To make it very clear, this is not your typical kind of stationary item of journal. It's more of a book, and it is so visually stimulating. You Are the Path holds space for you to unravel, unleash, investigate, hypothesize, affirm, inspire, fortify, to essentially create you and all aspects of your life. You can literally stretch out and run free within the vast open pages. So in this journal, you have seven guided and illustrated sections led by five thought-provoking questions and prompts that evoke exploratory thinking. Of course, you're welcome to ignore them, but they are there to anchor you because Talking about journaling for some time now for to so many people, I've learned that journaling can feel daunting to some people. Like you don't know what to do or where to start. So these journal prompts and questions are there to just anchor you in and help you get moving through the pages. Um, each section also has a personal quote for me. And again, the artistry in this journal throughout the journal by my girl, Emerald Paget is absolutely incredible. It is there to evoke your imagination and all your senses and really just take you into deep parts of your mind and your heart. So the final section offers 20 blank pages. So the other sections all have lined pages in them. And this is really special for me because I've never come across a journal that had both. And throughout my journaling practice for almost the entirety of my life, um, you know, I've really needed and wanted both. Uh, so I'm just excited to give you this opportunity to be able to sketch and just let your imagination run free on these blank pages, but also have the beautiful structure and, you know, refinement of, of lines for you to just, you know, script out your heart. So again, this journal is absolutely a mystical experience. It's a mystical adventure. I want you to just drop in and to ultimately connect with your highest self, your authentic self, your intuition. And this journal is meant to facilitate that process for you. So to shop this journal, go to blackbeltbeauty.com. It's right there at the top menu. You'll also be able to see some visuals of the journal. And I just, I know you're going to love it. So Let me know what you think and enjoy the path that is you. Yeah, it's so cool. I think I've read that, you know, it's your diaphragm, like your lung. They're the only organs that you can actually control by your mind, right? Like in our body. And I'm pretty sure... Yeah, I mean, you like you said, it's you have access at any time. You don't need to do anything except just pause and talk to your body and, you know, through your breath work. I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, heart coherence breath work and mm-hmm. it's yes. something I do every morning. And I certainly feel feel the difference. Also, I love um, the psychological side. <laughs> you know, yeah. like the double inhale, exhale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you into um, MMA, UFC fights at all? I like watching it, but I'm not one of those guys. Like, I feel like a lot of the culture is just like a lot of people getting really into that and I'll, I'll watch it every once in a while. I mean, I, and I enjoy it, but I don't study it. Um, I like listening to Joe Rogan when he interviews people, but, uh, yeah, I I can't, I can't say like I'm a super fan, but I enjoy it. Yeah. I love it. I'm a jujitsu girl and I just, I'm, I'm deeply submerged in, in the UFC and lots of friends, um, 
that are fighters, and one of which who you know is a legend, George St. Pierre. I don't know if you know who he is, but oh yeah, oh, I remember yeah. I him. GSP. I don't know him personally, yeah. but I, I remember watching him. He's, I mean, he's incredible, and I will never forget. This is so many years ago. Him telling me that between rounds, he would, and he showed me the belly breathing mm. to get his nervous system back in place before he went back out to fight. So just really echoing what you're saying and validating through through a story through GSP. But yes. like, <laughs> I love it. You just wanted to name drop. No, actually, I never have. I don't even do that, <laughs> that here. Sounds, but yeah, it is. It's, I'm joking. I'm it's the truth. Um, so who would you say this? I mean, it's kind of a a very obvious question, but I just would like you to answer it. Yeah. I, lo- I love softballs. Just yeah. throw up a softball for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who should be paying attention to their HRV? <laughs> yeah. O- o- only the elite professional athletes. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Everybody's like tuning out now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, the, the thing is, is those, I, and maybe it's an, even a, I don't think I've ever responded to this question this way, but I am going to, I would say those who understand what they're looking at. Uh, because, and the reason I say this is because so many people don't understand it and it makes them worried and then yeah. they become anxious. Guess what happens to your heart rate variability when you become anxious? <laughs> it sinks like a rock. So I think that, you know, it, it's hard because back to one of the first things I said on the podcast, heart rate variability as a metric is ubiquitous. Like it's everywhere. It's on every wearable. So people do need to educate themselves and understand what they're looking for and understand that, you know, when they have that dinner, you know, that night with their, you know, significant other who's wearing an aura ring that comparing their HRV to their spouses or significant others, HRV is not a good idea. Like it's just, there's no merit to that. Um, Compare your sleep scores, whatever. I I don't care, but not HRV. (laughs) Competitive. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just do whatever. Now, can you compete like in terms of like stress resiliency? Like, <laughs> sure. Like, uh, but, but not HRV. So what I would say is that you, people should understand what it means. Yeah. And then the way they should use it as is again, as a directional guide. The one thing that I, I haven't mentioned yet, which is something that I, I say a lot when I, when I do podcasts is that people aren't looking for a quote unquote high HRV or a low HRV. They're looking for a normal HRV and normal means stable. Like when HRV is going in an upward direction, that is typically giving us signs that the nervous system is recovering well. But there's some caveats to that because we can actually see that when heart rate variability starts to uh, go up, Mm -hmm. so let's say we see an inflated heart rate variability, but we also see an inflated or increased heart rate, well, that actually means that the person is having a very difficult time recovering and they're overexhausted. And so the nervous system is trying to kick into high gear to help recover, but Ah. the heart rate is still staying high. So that's like an example of like using it outside of its context. Context because if you just saw heart rate variability go up, but you weren't paying attention to heart rate, all is also up yeah. higher, then you would have you would have kind of missed the picture there. Uh, so that's one thing. And then there are times where we expect to see a low heart rate variability. So I work with right. a lot of again athletes. Yeah. So these are individuals who are training hardcore. Yeah. My biggest offenders, and I'm going to call them all out right now because I've worked with plenty of these individuals. They're my CrossFitters. Like they're oh, my yeah. CrossFitters are the worst. I, can um, I, I get so many emails from CrossFitters like my HRV is <laughs> awful, and I'm like, it's probably because you're doing hit for like five hours a day, every day. Like, yeah. yeah your nervous system's like cranking Tax. way too hard. So I was working with a CrossFit athlete who was training for the games. Uh, and like, he was like, he's like, his heart rate variability started off at like around 70 when he was working with me. Mm-hmm. And it was like the next month it was 60. And I was like, dude, you're overtraining. Like you're overreaching. He's like, well, God, you know, it's for the games. It's for the games. The next thing we know, the next month was 50 and it was just kept dropping like 10 milliseconds. Uh-huh. And I finally told him, I was like, bro, like you're going to get hurt. Like I, the numbers are very clear. You're going to get hurt if you keep doing this because your nervous system is like, it's having a hard time. Yeah what happened the dude got hurt and missed the yeah. crossfit games oh. because of this and so i'm like you've got to use it as a directional yeah. guide so yeah. really when we see a stable hrv when hrv is staying stable that nor that's normal that is good yes. in an upward direction it's typically that person's recovering really well they're okay. doing pretty well from a nervous system functioning perspective yeah. but look at things like heart rate if heart rate's starting to elevate then that actually means that they're overtraining their body's overcompensating by trying to help out 
Um, So you got to be careful. If we see the trend going down, then it's back to my CrossFit buddy who I was just talking about, who it's, yeah, they're probably overreaching. They're probably overtraining or it's that, you know, crazy executive that's burning, you know, the candle at both ends uh, and they're just wiped out and their HRV is trending down. So it's just knowing how to use it. And I think everybody can benefit from it. It is, it is a scary metric in one sense in that it's a very complex metric, but it's also easy to understand if people don't think about the number, they think about the direction of the number. I think that's more in line with what the science is showing us is the most important value that heart rate variability has. It could be that five, 10 years from now, we find out, no, there's like a threshold, like 25 milliseconds is where you should be. And if you're not above that, like you're going to die. I don't know. Yeah, right. We might, we might get something like that. It could be, (laughs) I, I doubt it, but we might. So for right now, the science is telling us this is a great directional guide. And I use it, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot, uh, or talk about it at least here in a second. Yeah. But the other thing way to use heart rate variability is in a biofeedback type of setting. So actually yeah. using it during a breathwork practice or a biofeedback session. Um, and I can explain all the reasons why, uh, but I, I wanted to make sure I answered your question. No, so, yeah, uh, thank you. And uh, no, because, well, I'm wondering if it'll overlap to a question that, because I, I really actually want to ask you about your company, Hanu, because in, so again, I wear an orange. A ring. Um, I also yeah. wear a Fitbit, but you know, the I in preparing for this podcast and learning a bit more about Hanu. Um, but there's still so much more to learn. Um, I learned. It, it seems as though you have more of a comprehensive. And I know we don't need to like. We're not trying to put down any brands or anything like that. But like, yeah, look, sure. I'm just being honest, and I want to fucking get <laughs> the most information that I can. That's going to be the most supportive. Right. So, can yeah. you talk about Hanu and like what? you know, what, what, you know, uh, what an individual, uh, who uses your device could expect. Yeah. 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 So uh, I should explain like why we, why we chose to make Hanu. Uh, you know, I never thought I was going to get into the world. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a clinical health and performance psychologist and you know, my background, I had a consulting firm. I was doing, you know, really well working with a lot of professional athletes, like really building a niche business in this area. And then all of a sudden in 2021, I had a guy who I was working with, um, Silicon Valley, like serial entrepreneur in the tech space, um, who basically was like, Hey, you want to drop everything you're doing and go build a health tech, not technology company with me. And so for me, I, I, I spoke with my wife and, you know, we have two kids and we're like, Oh man, but things are going so great right now. Like it's a, you know, the word is spreading on kind of your work. Uh, like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so we are like, we dropped everything and decided uh, to do it. And we've been on that journey. So we, we founded Hanu back in 2021. Mm-hmm. And the reason we founded Hanu is because we saw a gap in the market. Uh, we, you know, in the wearable space, there was a lot of great technologies that were out there for measuring things like exercise performance, like whoop, I mean, it does a great yeah. job with it. Or, you know, Fitbit does a great job with it. Apple watch, Garmin, um, sleep. You have aura who's like such a good, great company, a lot of other great companies. And we mm-hmm. never bash on companies because mm-hmm. we don't see ourselves as competitors with them. We think we're very complimentary to what a lot of these companies are doing. Um, and, and we saw like in the market of like nutrition management, like CGMs were becoming great. And you had companies like Levels Health and Cygnos and Nutrisense all doing really well and you know making a lot of great products. And we said, where's the mental health side? Like, where's the stuff we're looking at nervous system functioning? And we said, well, you know, every company has like a heart rate variability, like kind of portion built into it, but nothing's like watching it all the time Yes, um, and using it as a guide. And for us, we said, well, there we go. There's, there's the market for us. We can build a company that is always continuously monitoring your stress response by continuously tracking heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. And so uh, back uh, in this past year, 2022, uh, we worked um, throughout the year. It was only from January to October. Like we built um, our complete software um, platform and we're utilizing you know, our hardware uh, and we're out to market now. But at, at its core, Hanu is a stress resiliency platform um, and it's, it's a pathway to mental wellness that's powered by science. And the intention is for us to kind of watch you like a hawk all day <laughs> long and say, when is that stress response adapting well, good for you. We want to reinforce that. And then when are the times where it's like, oh, like we see something that looks like your body is ramping up because yeah. there's a threat. And then we warn you or alert you and say, hey, just wanted to check in. 
we saw your metrics kind of do some shifting. It looked like you you were kind of not adapting super well. And what that does is that it increases the, the individual's self-awareness as to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they can log it. We call it a life event. So they say, yeah, like right now I'm in the middle of a board meeting with investors mm-hmm. and it's really intense. And this sounds like my own life. Uh, <laughs> it's like, this is really intense. And so, yeah, my heart rate variability plummeted. My heart rate is up by like 40% right now. Like it's just, it's, it's one of those things. And you can, you log it. And then over time you can look back and you can say, well, over the last week, over the last month, last year, these are the triggers. These are the things that are really causing me to have a dysregulated nervous system. And so we'll, we'll, we kind of have that, that ability there. And then we always follow it up with training mechanisms for self-regulation, because what we say is that you becoming self-aware is great, but it's kind of useless if you don't do anything about it. Like what good is this data telling you, you slept like shit or your exercise was awful. (laughs) If you don't do anything about it or have a roadmap or pathway, right. It's like, if if anything, it's actually like you're worse off, like having something tell you that. Like, exactly. Where's the instruction manual? How do I fix this? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, exactly. Oh, sorry. My camera got no shifted worries. over there. But uh, yeah, so what we said is like, okay, well, we want to develop something that provides like a really solid roadmap and gives you actionable things to do. So after you log those life events, you can go directly into like a training, into a biofeedback session where you're watching heart rate variability in real time. We're helping you to pace and change your breathing, the cadence of your breathing. And you'll see in real time, heart rate variability start to go up. You'll see these beautiful peaks and valleys of your heart rate, uh, which I was talking about earlier. Slowing down, the speeding yeah. up and slowing down of your heart rate. You can see it all in real time. And the reason why this is so effective for people is because a lot of these practices really are like breathwork practices. They're sure. like meditation practices. But what we know is that a lot of people will do a meditation or they'll you know buy an app for meditation or they'll do a breathwork session or buy an app for it. And they're like, at the end of it, they're like, yeah, well, subjectively, I do think that I'm feeling less stress. Like, I think mm-hmm. I'm feeling a little bit better. And that's good. Like, we want people to feel that. But if you add on the layer of objective data, and if they understand what they're seeing, and they say, oh, wow, like my heart rate variability went from a 20 to a 60 in yeah. 60 seconds. Wow. Like, that's insane. And that's what yeah. we see all the time. Yeah. So that brings people back for more, right? Because now it's like, it's not just me convincing myself no. that that breathwork practice and that meditation was effective. Like, I've got the hard physiological data that is showing me right here in real time this was effective. So when we think about this from a psychological perspective, a behavioral conditioning perspective, we start to pair these triggers with these behaviors of adaptive behavior. And the more we do that, the more we become self-regulatory, or in other Mm -hmm. words, in layman speak, we learn how to control the nervous system and our stress response without us even having to think about it. We practice, practice, and practice. I tell everybody that I meet, I'm like, you know, we go to the gym, you know, to train kind of our, 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 to train, like, let's say our muscles to like become bigger, faster, and stronger. Well, we have to do the same thing for our nervous system. And the more we do it, the more that response becomes reflexive. And we find ourselves kind of in situations that maybe previously would have caused a lot of stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. not causing nearly as much stress and anxiety because we have learned how to adapt to it through these types of trainings and behaviors. Oh, my, sign me up. I'm I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. I this is everything. This is so important. You know, there's a lot of things that I'm building in my career, in my life. There's, you know, TED Talks in front of me. There's, you know, and I think about that, you know, as a high performer, not just in the physicality sense, but just from the mental sense as well. I mean, this is important. Knowing how to regulate your nervous system, you know, when yep. you're in these high pressure performance situations. So, you know. This is so, so valuable. I I love that, you know, I mean, for me, but, you know, obviously you don't have to be necessarily a super high performer, you know, I just, I think that this is really, really important. Um, And I do love the, the fact that it's measuring all day because that, that is there, Mm -hmm. there's a glitch there, right? Because overnight that's only a snapshot, right? It's not really telling you. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, overnight too, one of the things is that we already know that we're going to hopefully be resting and relaxing and recovering overnight. Um, right. It's still very important for us to view that data because sleep is kind of like our main catalyst for recovery, especially if we're thinking about it from a sports performance perspective, um, uh, an athletic perspective. The great component about it throughout the day is that so many people, and this doesn't even matter if you're a hard charger, professional athlete, elite executive, um, or if you're just kind of the everyday individual, mm-hmm. we don't understand and catch all of the compounding stress that's occurring throughout the day. We kind of just push it to the side. We say we're going to deal with it later. And the next thing we know, we get home and we either explode on our family or we, you know, yeah. give, you know, we shoot the bird at somebody on the community. Yeah. Like all these, these things come out, right? And it's really detrimental to our health. Right. to our relationships, to our psychological well-being. And we just have to learn how to become more aware of it and mm-hmm. catch it in real yeah. time and then learn to self-regulate. So, you know, we have so many different types of customers that come to us at Hanu, but the stories that I love hearing the most, I love the professional athletes that are getting their extra mm-hmm. 1% and the yeah, elite yeah. athlete, I mean, yeah. the elite executives, good for you. Like, I, I really love that they're they're using it for that. But the ones that really like get me up in the morning and like have me kind of just elated to do this job, it's like the single mom who's yes. like working her ass off and like you know she's having to feed two or three kids and she's working you know crazy hours a week and she's just like man i need something that's going to help my life suck less yeah because like i get i get home and i'm just so drained and my kids need me and i don't feel like i have that love to give to them i'm just kind of giving them all of like the junk that i've been building up all day mm-hmm. it's like when i hear from them that they're using this learning to self-regulate for throughout the day they get home and they have this energy and vitality and it's repairing, you know, the relationships that they have with, you know, their kids or their spouse. Like yeah. that's that's what for me is going to keep me coming back to this thing yeah. because that's like true wellness right there. It's holistic wellness. Yes. Um, and so it's those stories again that like we're really looking to build. And you know, we're a yeah. brand new company, so for us, awesome. like we're at our infancy. Like we hope to continue to broaden this out just to be extremely directive and helpful yeah. to people and understanding like what is impacting my mental well-being yeah. how is it meant to impacting my nervous system and well-being and then what can i do about it it's just so that i can live a life that is full of joy and peace and contentment because right. i think a lot of us need that now well that's exactly why you ha- i was like i have to get him on the show because again <laughs> like everyone's stressed and i'm with you like the story of the single mom who's i mean you know the there's so many you know individuals, you know, with different walks of life listening to, to, you know, the show. Um, but, you know, knowing how to manage your nervous system is a power move universally. And yep. so, you know, your, you know, amazing way of just, you know, explaining all of this um, to me is just, it's so, so valuable. So, Thank you. And I, I definitely am going to have links to Hanu for, you know, people who want to look into Hanu. But before we wrap out, I just want to ask you um, two questions, actually. Is there a question yeah. that you don't get asked much or often or, you know, maybe you wish you would or maybe something in this ta- uh, episode that we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to live in this talk? Yeah, this is a... Okay. Yes. Yes. There is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and I feel almost the need to kind of share this more often. And simply because a lot of people ask me to come on the podcast to talk about heart rate variability, to talk about biofeedback, to talk about physiological um, uh, change in the nervous system and breathing and all that is great. Uh, But the one thing I think gets overlooked, unfortunately, um, is the role of cognition and it's the role of self-talk. Uh, and and the reason being is because I think that there's a lot of faultiness in some of the discussion that is had around how that plays into nervous system functioning. And I think that sometimes people, and the reason I say this is because a lot of people will try all of these tools and techniques, breathing techniques, biofeedback, meditation, mindfulness, uh, you know, maybe they'll try psychedelics or they'll try these other things 
to help change the nervous system. And a lot of times they get like a beautiful, acute sense of relief or awareness, or um, maybe they gain some level of insight. And all of that is great. I don't want to undermine right, that. Right. But I think the one thing that gets skipped over is this role of like the internal dictator that people have. And how even if you change all of your physiological response, if you gain better insight, is that if we don't help to learn to recognize that nasty internal dictator that we have, then I think that we can be missing something huge. The one thing that gets passed around too often, and this is in modern psychology, pop mm -hmm. psychology, and even in psychotherapy, is this idea that if we have some faulty negative thinking, mm -hmm. that we need to replace it with some type of positive thinking. And I think that that there's a lot of good intent behind that, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's realistic because a, a, what we really need is to learn more acceptance. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by acceptance, I mean reception. So if you know, if I were to give you something, um, and I uh, let's say uh, give you a brand new iPhone, and I say, here you go, Roxanne, is a, a brand new iPhone. Um, you know, you know, will you accept this? I'm not asking you, will you tolerate this? Will you change this? I'm saying, will you receive this? Mm. And so when we think about the internal dictator, which is that kind of nasty, you know, little demon that's always yeah. talking, telling you that you'll never live up. Like things are always bad. You're just this big ball of anxiety. Everything's gone <laughs> to shit. When we hear that, a lot of times, if we try to replace it with positive thinking, I think we do ourselves a disservice. And instead, I really like this whole notion of accepting it and being with it, not saying this is who I am, I'm going to tolerate right. it and just allow it to be. Right. But instead of pushing it aside is learning to feel that emotion, learning yeah. to listen to that cognition instead of just saying, I'm going to push it away. Mm -hmm. Because what we found is that that more mindfulness-based approach, that more acceptance approach can actually significantly change the way our nervous system responds. And, the ner and when the internal dictator starts to get going, that in and of itself, cognition alone can increase heart rate. It can increase cortisol output, increase epinephrine, norepinephrine output. It can change our physiological breathing patterns. It can change our cardiovascular system. So what I always tell people is learn to be more aware and present in the moment to that internal dictator. And instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to say everything he's telling me, I'm just going to spin it for the positive. It's saying, let me just kind of listen to it non-judgmentally, almost like I'm going to pull myself backwards as if I'm observing it. Yes. And what we find is that when we pull ourselves back and we start to observe our thoughts instead of judge our thoughts yes. or praise our thoughts, they tend not to have as much weight to them. We kind of look at them. We're just kind of like, oh, yeah. these are just words. They're, all, they're, they're just words. Like that's all it is, just language. Yeah. Um, and so that's the one thing that I put in there that a lot so of people good. don't ask me about and I don't get to talk about, <sighs> but I, I feel like I need to, yes. I, I, I feel like that it's a necessity for me to address the component of cognition in this discussion. So, so good. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, you're literally yeah. speaking to the core of my work. You know, my work is yes. centered in self-mastery and I, I often talk about, well, a lot of things related, but just to to make it simple, um, specifically with what you were just saying, I, you know, I it's to be the student of self right? And to be a true student of self, we have to be more curious and look, you know, from that objective lens, which isn't easy because we're so, we're so, uh, you know, used to being more judgmental. And so like in a real life moment for me, when that voice comes in and is trying to bully me, uh, it's like sometimes literally, and I speak out loud, right? There's a lot of power, yeah. I think, in speaking out loud to yourself, but um, I'll be like, yeah, no thanks. I don't need that right now. <laughs> like it's, but it's so it just neutralizes the situation because mm -hmm. I'm not like you said. I'm not trying to you know go away. It's not really how I feel or what right. you know. Yes, but I'm just like right. eh, I'm not even going to give you attention. I mean, it's you not energy, very helpful, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. thanks, but no thanks. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. I love that. It was such a you know powerful insertion here. Thank you for that. And then yeah, the sure. last question, is there anything in the health space or any area of your life um, or life in general that's really lighting you up right now? Maybe something that you're working on. I mean, you've got a lot going on, but yeah, anything that's lighting you up specifically? Yeah, outside of the obvious Hanu um, yeah. and, and me loving kind of what we're doing. And, and we're really massively starting to integrate a lot of things um, into our platform, which is really exciting. Outside of that, there are a couple of things in the world of, um, uh, I would say, more psychology and psychotherapy mm -hmm. that are that are really exciting. 
I think a lot of people are becoming aware of kind of the role that psychedelics can play um, yeah. in assisted psychotherapy. So psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, which mm-hmm. has passed laws in a couple of states, Oregon, Washington's about to pass it as well, mm-hmm. is really fascinating, especially for the role that it can play in PTSD, um, that it can play in um, depression, anxiety. I'm really fascinated uh, with, with that one. I also think in the health and wellness space, uh, the, the other thing would be like genomics testing. Now, like they're like mm-hmm. they're doing like with wild health. It's like super interesting to me. Uh, the usage of AI. I mean, in order oh, yeah. to consolidate and start to piece the picture or the piece of the puzzle together, yeah. that to me, I think, will be the next largest frontier of healthcare in general. Is utilizing AI as a mechanism to take all of the data and make more sense of it because it's all being integrated with one another and just kind of let out the cat out of the bag. That's what we're doing with Hanu. Is we want to take in as much information as we can, use AI and machine learning to really start to interpret the data through a contextual lens and then also provide just like pinpointed like this is what we think will be the best thing for you based on all the data that we see for your nervous system so give it a try and then we'll validate it we'll see is that good or not so good and i think that that will really help us to enhance the world of precision medicine that's that's what precision medicine is right it's being precise to what works with that person. So those those are the That's areas awesome. I'm super excited about. That's awesome. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared and and honestly for everything that you're just doing in the world. You're you're a true yeah. contributor and I'm so grateful and I know that my audience is so grateful. So where do we send them to stay connected to you? Yeah, well, I appreciate the kind words. I, I truly do. Uh let's see. So a couple of different places. So check us out hanuhealth.com. Mm-hmm. So Hanu is H-A-N-U. Um, and Hanu, by the way, is Hawaiian turtle. for breath. Yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. it, Well, wait. I think the turtle is... Oh, no. That's Honu. Got uh, it. Yeah, so oh, there you got go. it. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Breath. Yeah, Hawaiian nice. for living breath. Yeah, Amazing. yeah, which is yeah, which is um, you know core part of what we do. So yeah. we wanted to incorporate that in. So yeah, HanuHealth.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, all the other social media platforms. So at Hanu okay. Health, and then mine is at Dr. J Wiles is my Instagram handle. Uh, but everything I do now is kind of really out of Hanu Health. So we have a podcast, the Hanu Health podcast as well. So yeah, check us check us out, and we'd love to communicate with you. Um, you know, for us, it's all about just helping people find that daily joy, peace, and contentment in their life um, so they can feel, you know, just fulfilled and feel like they're living a life that's, you know, driven by their value system. I mean, is aligned with their value system. So yeah, find us there. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode, you guys. If you loved it, please share it on your social. Throw it up on your Instagram stories and tag me. I'm at Black Belt Beauty. I am also at Roxy Look. R-O-X-Y-L-O-O-K. I love connecting with you guys. This is a conversation that I want to just continue growing with you guys. So if you feel inspired to hit me up, do so in that space. I always enjoy hearing from you. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by rating it and reviewing it via iTunes. It's such supportive help, you guys. It really helps the visibility of this podcast. So I appreciate and thank you in advance for doing that. And on that note, you guys, I'm signing off with all my love and always looking forward to catching you on the next.